So a very warm welcome uh, to our first ever NHSR community podcast. Uh, my name is uh, Professor Mohammed A. Mohammed. I'm your host uh, in this podcast. I'm based at the strategy unit, which is inside the National Health Service in the UK. And I'm also a professor at the University of Bradford and uh, had the honor of being one of the founder members of the NHSR community. Uh, I'm joined by some very special guests today uh, and our, uh, our guests and our conversation in this podcast will share some of the history of the NHSR community, try and highlight some of its successes and try and say something about its future uh, with the help of our guests. So I'll first turn to Paul Strona, if I may, please. Paul, would you introduce yourself, please? Thank you, Mohammed. Yes, uh, my name is Paul Strona, um, and I also have the honour of being one of the co-founders of NHSR community. Um, I, I am the president of the Association of Professional Healthcare Analysts, which was formed in 2012 to represent um, analytical activity across the NHS and social care. Thank you, Paul. Uh, can I turn to Jenny, please? Oh, thank you very much, Mohammed. So my name is Jenny. I am an operational researcher and modelling development manager in the NHS Wales delivery unit. I also have the privilege of being the chair of the NHS Wales Modelling Collaborative, which is the Wales branch of AFA, the Association for Professional Healthcare Analysts. Um, I ha have been a researcher in backgrounds, but um, in healthcare for the last 15 years. Thank you, Mohammed. Thank you, Jenny. Can I turn to Ellen, please? Thanks, Mohammed. So my name is Ellen Coughlin and I work at the Health Foundation managing a programme of work that essentially tries to um, advance the use of data analytics in the healthcare system. And for those of you that aren't familiar with the Foundation's work, we are an independent charity committed to improving health and healthcare for everyone across the UK, really. We're funded by an endowment and we spend about 37 million a year on improving health and healthcare in lots of different ways. But the way that the, the data analytics team does it is um, by funding innovative analyses, which is what I do, as well as doing other things like in-house analyses and acting as an independent voice. Ellen, thank you. And we'll say more about how the Health Foundation has contributed to, uh, uh, to the landscape of analytics through the NHSR community. Um, Chris, please. Thank you. Hi, yes, so I'm Chris Bealey. Uh, I'm a data scientist. I work at Nottinghamshire Healthcare, which is a large provider of uh, community and physical healthcare uh, in the East Midlands. Uh, we do lots of things in my team. I work on some nationally funded projects and I do some stuff internally to my trust as well. We do stats, we do machine learning, we do forecasting, we do all sorts of things like that. Great, thank you very much, Chris. And uh, last but not least, Sarah, please. Hello, I'm Sarah Culkin. I'm the Head of Analytics and Data Science at NHSX. For those who are unfamiliar with um, NHSX, this is a kind of agency of um, NHS England and Improvement and the Department of Health and Social Care that was, was formed um, in 2019 to take forward the digital transformation programme within the health and care sector the team i lead a bit like chris really we do all kinds of exciting things some innovative analytics and data science we support the um, analytical needs of the different programs involved in digital transformation um, and we're also uh, really big supporters of building 
data and analytics as a profession, a, a recognised and wonderful profession within health and care. Thank you, Sarah. That's uh, thank you all to all my guests, really. Um, so, as I said, the aim of today is to kind of chart out some of the history of the NHSR community, and it wouldn't be uh, in one way you can think of the NHSR community as being really a a kind of arranged marriage really between the NHS and R. So let me say a little bit about the NHS and, and little, just a little bit about its history. I'll then ask Chris to talk a little bit about R. And, and like all marriages, uh, they, they cost money. So then we'll turn to, our, uh, to Ellen to t tell us a little bit about the origins of the funding that uh, eventually was uh, allocated to the NHSR community. So the NHS is, is a national health service for the United Kingdom. It was founded after the Second World War in 1948. Uh, it has an amazing constitution. Uh, and one of the principles in the constitution is that healthcare services are for all, all people, uh, based on their need and not on their ability to pay. Um, and you'll see why, for me, this is quite an important touchstone. Um, and the NHS itself is uh, one of the world's largest employers. It has about 1.5 billion staff. And in international comparisons, the National Health Service compares favorably with other healthcare systems in the developed world. So you can see that, that um, you know, we have this amazing institution uh, called the National Health Service uh, and that uh, and I'll now pass over to Chris, please. Chris, will you tell us a little bit about R and also perhaps how you first came to know about it uh, and a little bit about the history, if you're aware of it? Yes, I'm not going to humiliate myself by doing too much on the history of R because uh, it's, um, you know, somewhat uh, labyrinthine. Um, R has got a funny name, I know, because it's based on a programming language called S. Uh, basically, people used to use S back in the day, and uh, it cost money. And like many things that cost money, some bright spark had the idea of making a free version, and thus R was born. Um, R is, I think, as many people as use R as there are versions of R, really. R, I, when I think of R, I think of particular things. Uh, I think other people think of, of very different things. Uh, it was born, really, in, in the world's statistics and academia, and that's some of the qualities that it has today you can you can sort of tell that um but the thing that's so special about r from my point of view and from the point of view of a lot of the community is that it's a programming language so it is general purpose and because it's a general purpose programming language and because it can be extended that means that r can pretty much do almost anything you can think of really so it's used widely for statistics it's used for machine learning for forecasting it's used for um data munging uh, so-called you know, data manipulation um, you can send emails with it, you can build dashboards with it, you can make reports with it, you know, it's almost impossible to think of something that you can't do with R. Um, and so um, it's a very vibrant, and of course the other thing is that, you know, all this activity, all these contributor packages are all free. So it's a very big, vibrant uh, field with lots of people in it all contributing their time and their expertise. And Chris, I should I should apologise really because the, the question is straightforward. Uh, tell us about R, but actually, it is quite a complex answer now, uh, and it continues to be. Um, but I did want to kind of highlight the point you've made really that just as the health service, uh, the national health service, kind of disseminates its knowledge 
it's kind of crowdfunded in, 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 in one way, and it disseminates all its knowledge for free uh, throughout the world, really. Uh, and our, our and our communities like that, the, the number of packages, the amount of online support, the different user groups that exist, uh, and this is all essentially uh, people giving of their of their free time and their expertise, uh, and um, and so from a point of view of trying to kind of uh, arrange marriages, uh, the NHS and R kind of seemed like a really good good uh, in principle uh, fit, but that's not enough really. We needed to try and uh, we we didn't have uh, 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 any access to funds uh, when these two things were kind of in the ether, as it were. Um, so Ellen. Uh, as, as the funder of the NHS Art community, would you perhaps tell us a little bit about uh, why the Health Foundation got interested in funding this kind of uh, activity to support the health service? Yeah, of course. So I suppose before the marriage, maybe our romance with R and with the community started back in 2016. So my predecessor um, and sort of founding father of what we consider to be analytical capability Martin Bardsley published um, published an output called Understanding Analytical Capability. And it really set out what he understood analytical capability to be. And that's essentially how data analytics are used in the system. And that's everything from the quality of the data to the timeliness of the data, the analysts, the number of the analysts, their skill sets, uh, whether they're being developed, how they're being organized and, um, you know, the, from a top-down perspective as well, how data analytics is sort of valued from, you know, system leadership perspective. Uh, it set up the barriers to analytical capability, so whether that's supply-side factors um, or demand factors, um, it really set out all of those um, all of those elements. And alongside that publication was the um, the development of our advancing applied analytics. Uh, award program. So really we made available funds to different project teams in different healthcare providers and commissioners that had really great innovative ideas about how they could demonstrate that improving analytical capability could bring about improvements in care. Um, and I think I think it was in early 2018 we had an application from a collaborative that comprised I think Yorkshire and Humber, AHSN, uh, University of Bradford, AFA, NHS Wales, and I th a few others, I think, as well. And it was, uh, their ambition was to kind of kickstart the use of art in, in, in the NHS. And the rest is sort of history. And um, when that project ended in 2019, we were able to offer follow-on funding uh, for three years. So that sort of cemented the NHSR trajectory and allowed them to test out things like the NHSR Academy and developing NHSR solutions and hold these really wildly successful conferences every year and it's just been a real pleasure to see the community grow and really become embedded in the system since then. Thank you Ellen and we'll, we'll cover some of that um, some of those uh, milestones uh, in a little bit more detail shortly. Um, I think it is quite remarkable how uh, it took an outside system perspective to, to kind of commission or support someone with vision and insight to, to write that report, uh, which actually was quite transformational really. Uh, and subsequently there were, there were other reports by, by other, other, other groups really, but it did kind of, um, it kind of identified a major weakness when it came to 
to data and analytics uh, in the health service. So, so there, there will be landmark reports, and I, and I think it's a great tribute to the Health Foundation for for commissioning the, uh, the, those two major reports. Um, so, just before I kind of um, so so the funding now is becoming available through the Health Foundation. I think the the first round of awards for the Applied Analytics Awards were opened up sometime in 2017 um, or, or, or thereabouts in the summer. Uh, and um, I got invited to an event uh, that Paul Stroner had organized through the Association for, for uh, Professional Healthcare Analysts at the uh, Leeds Cricket Ground in Headingley. Paul, will you take the story from there, please? Yeah, sure. <clears throat> so, um, pre predating that, I think um, I was at that point involved in establishing the National Demand and Capacity Planning Team, and I was also uh, the Deputy Director of Information at NHS Improvement. And in both of those roles, I was getting increasingly frustrated at the lack of um, robust statistical work which was happening and particularly around things like planning and forecasting. And um, as luck would have it, I was invited to the University of Surrey to, to give a presentation to some people there and um, bumped into a chap from New York University who was a professor of statistics. And, um, and we got chatting over, over a pint about all sorts of things um, which were frustrating both of us. And he put me, pointed me in the direction of R as something which I might want to take a look at. And for me then, it was almost like just walking through the door of the sweetie shop and going, oh my word, this is just incredible. And if we could get some of this work established across the NHS and particularly in the teams that I was responsible for, um, it would make life so much easier in terms of efficiency and quality of output um, and all sorts of things. And so that sparked off a whole set of conversations with people around, around this sort of, one of whom was uh, a lady called Julie Viles, who was working in Wales, who I think um, was Jenny's predecessor. Um, and we had a chat about, about how we might want to get involved in some of this. As Mohammed said then, we had the event in Headingley where uh, Mohammed then presented some work which he'd been doing um, around I think the shipment inquiry stuff and all sorts of things around mortality statistics and using R and the amount, just the sheer volume of data which he managed to, um, to pull together and churn out uh, and to produce outputs from really was just, it just was mind blowing in terms of what we could do with some of this stuff. So um, at that event, I think Mohammed and I um, obviously got together afterwards and we had we had a meeting of minds and an epiphany at Headingley around, well, why don't we put forward this application? And I'd already started some work with Julie to, to do some of that. And I must admit, at that time, the thinking was much, much smaller scale. We were much less ambitious than we are right now. It was For me, it was just about, can we get a dozen folk across the NHS to start using this stuff? Um, and um, was really pushing the train the trainer program approach so that we didn't create a central dependency so we didn't have central expertise which we were creating but we were embedding this within organizations so that was the plan um, so that was really the start of 
of that that was the first application which went through to Ellen at the Health Foundation for funding uh, and thankfully they, they said yes and that was as you said from there on it's it's history really. Thank you Paul. Um, uh, I think it might also be just worth me just highlighting very briefly um, I think everybody has a personal story of how they met R and um, in, in, in my case uh, it was uh, I was very interested in visualization and graphics generally, um, but uh, uh, Bell Laboratories colleagues from there who invented S uh, actually uh, published a book on visual data visualization in 1993, uh, William Cleveland's book, and it had these immaculate graphics. They were uh, they were like museum pieces really, and they were adorable. Uh, and I just looked at them and I thought I'd really want to be able to replicate this. Um, and um, and later did I find 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 out really that that the inventor of the language that helped produce those graphics, uh, when he was awarded a recognition for for the work he did, the, the it was stated at that time really that the invention of the S language that was used in Bill Cleveland's book uh, forever altered how people would analyze, visualize, and manipulate data. And so, um, so I was inspired by, by the visualizations and it still remains a huge, I mean, visualization now becomes such a big specialist area, um, but that's how it started for me. Uh, but S became commercial. Uh, and as uh, Chris has indicated in the nineties, in, in the early nineties, uh, academics from the University of uh, uh, Auckland in New Zealand actually developed the R. Uh, and so I was born. So, so, um, so I was very inspired to uh, to try and promote the use of R. And um, having the opportunity to work with with so many other colleagues to put in a put in a bid to the Health Foundation was actually quite a uh, quite a labour of of love, really. Um, so, if I just quickly outline just a few things that we did in the bid. So, uh, Paul, one of the things that you did really successfully for us was to allow us to network really with a much wider group of stakeholders. Um, just tell us a little bit about how you how you kind of developed that network in the first place. Yeah, so, um, so AFA was created in 2012 um, and it was really um, pulled together to create a, com a community of analysts. And uh, I'd been involved as a research statistician in oncology uh, earlier, much earlier in my career, and uh, used to go to lots of conferences and listen to people present um, present their work. And it was clear that, that that sort of infrastructure just didn't exist for the analytical community across the NHS. And there was lots of silo work. So we decided to pull AFA together. Um, and very much then it was done on a, on a regional branch basis and getting people to talk to one another within their localities. And um, you would be amazed at how little communication there was at that time, and in certain pockets still is across, across the NHS analytical community. So we had this structure and series of branches. Um, so the meeting in 2017 we spoke about earlier was to launch the, the, the branch for Yorkshire and Humber. Um, I'd been working with Julie and lastly generally Jenny in Wales to um, to pull that together. Um, we had a big presence in the southwest, which is where we were based at the time, um, and and so, so that was 
So that was uh, well established. And then we had, um, we launched later London and um, we had a branch in Scotland and a branch in Northern Ireland. And pre-COVID, obviously, annual conferences and bringing people together, you know, in, in a physical way so that we could get them to network together to, with one another and share experience and share their work. So, so similar to what we're doing within NHSR, but in a much more general way. And it was about then, you know, promoting the, promoting the professionalization of analytics um, ac across the piece. So there's lots of work happening to, to bring folk together and to engage with decision makers about the importance of analytics as well. Thank you, Paul. And I think that's really important to, to highlight as a kind of, you know, looking back on it, it kind of, uh, it's kind of, uh, uh, we can provide a narrative, but certainly at the time, uh, none of this was planned. Uh, it, it just came together in a, in a very fortunate way. Um, mm. So, so, um, so we, we, uh, we, we put in a bid uh, uh, and in the bid, I was delighted to have colleagues from Wales be part of that, that kind of, the Health Foundation has a, has a funding footprint for the entire UK. So having, having co colleagues from Wales be part of the bid was actually a, a, a huge asset for us. Uh, and um, we started off a, a program of, uh, of work, which basically involved training people through four workshops on, on how you use R. The first one was introduction to R and then we gave more specific workshops. Um, but the introduction to R was, was a three-day training program that we, uh, we gave in, in Leeds and in, in, in Wales. Um, I won't say much about this now, but I do still meet people who came to that very first training course uh, and, and what's happened to, to them in, in due course is a, is a kind of nice story. Um, so, so I'll just pause at that point and I'll just turn to, uh, to Jenny really. So uh, Jenny, um, can you kind of recall how you got involved with the NHSR community and kind of what, what uh, its kind of presence felt like in Wales? Oh, thank you, Mohammed. Yeah, so as mentioned by Paul, I was doing a, a maternity cover. Um, so I joined the uh, NHS Wales Delivery Unit, which is a central organisation working across all of the health boards in Wales, where I got linked up with yourself, Mohammed, um, with that offer of contributing to a health foundation bid. So I was obviously over the moon that this was not going to just be uh, an NHS England initiative. This was going to be made available uh, to those of us outside of that. Um, and it was through that then that it was possible to use some of the networks that my predecessor had set up um, to engage with a range of analysts, some of whom desperately needed that introduction to R, uh, some of whom maybe wanted to join some of the latter training. Um, but we were able to offer that training then across Wales um, and really identify those uh, those contributors to the community that could go forward into the future. So in terms of that sort of initial uh, introduction to the community, uh, I haven't looked back since, I think it's fair to say. Okay, great, thank you. Um, so, um, the, the the first iteration of the of the funding award was to really run four workshops, and uh, just by way of kind of acknowledging the uh, the kind of vision and, and flexibility and responsiveness of the uh, of the health foundation as as, as funders of our community, uh, we we kind of we could see the interest that was that was out there, the amount of enthusiasm, 
and also inspired by, by Paul's uh, annual conference for the Association of Healthcare Professionals, um, we thought we'd hold an NHSR conference. So, so uh, we put it uh, some extra, uh, a request for some extra funding, uh, and we held our very first uh, conference uh, uh, for the NHSR community. Uh, and I'll just quickly highlight, I'll use a conference really as a way to highlight um, a sense of how things have progressed uh, for the community. Um, so the first conference was in November 2018. Uh, it was a one-day conference. Uh, we were very fortunate at that uh, to have uh, support from uh, industry uh, partners who are interested in data science and working in the public sector. Um, so one-day conference, we had about 120 people come. And I think it was the first time I met the person who's written the book on Shiny. So, Chris, do you remember coming to that conference and what it was like for you? I do, yes. It's funny because it was, I look back at it now and it was so small, wasn't it, by comparison where we ended up, which is really nice. I mean, it was really exciting to be there um, because, yeah, I'd used art on my own, like completely on my own for a very long time by that point. And suddenly I was in this whole, you know, place full of people who were all using R. And a lot of them wanted to learn shiny off me, which was great. Uh, that's my thing, shiny. Um, and yeah, I remember, you know, it was really friendly and great and nice. And I met, um, you know, loads of luminaries of the R community. I remember I met John McIntosh. He was doing a, a workshop there as well, wasn't he? Um, but yes, and it's grown and grown and grown ever since. And if I can just, I mean, uh, for, uh, whoever's organized a conference will probably recognize this uh, anecdote, really. But before you start organizing a conference, you always think, will anybody turn up? Uh, and then, uh, as 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 you see the the, the kind of uh, uh, tickets taken up, as it were, you think, is my venue big enough? Um, and so, so I've ha we've had that challenge all, all throughout. But the really exciting thing for me was to see at that first conference um, these amazing individuals who've who've done some amazing things uh, with R. Uh, and uh, I just looked at the the kind of, um, pot not potential, but actually the capability in the room. And of course we did have potential because we had absolute novices in the room as well. And, and, and that's always always a, a real uh, fun thing to have. Um, but we, we, I just saw this huge potential and, and I just thought this is absolutely amazing. If, and in fact, John McIntosh wrote a blog for us after the conference and he kind of, to paraphrase him, he kind of said there was enough enough kind of brain power in the room for any problem to be tackled, providing we could we could get rid of the organizational boundaries and people could 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 be liberated to cooperate really. So so it was it was a, it was a very it was a very exciting day, um, and we had about um, thirty six uh, or so NHS organizations at that time come to the first conference. Um, so that was great. And then we, we went on to have a, so we have an annual conference now in, uh, in November. So the second conference uh, we decided was going to be two days. Uh, and I wanted a venue for 150 people. Uh, so within an hour, all the tickets went and I had to find another venue. <laughs> um, so we went for a two day conference and we had about three day, 300 people. And that conference was held at the Edge Bassett Cricket Ground. Uh, and uh, I had great support from Paul. Paul, do you have any recollections of that conference you'd like to share at all? 
the, the thing that always strikes me about that conference was the warmth and generosity in the room and, and the fact that there was no there was no um, sort of factions or cliques or sort of infighting. Everybody was very generous with their knowledge. And, um, and it just, you know, without being all sort of motherhood and apple pie, you just came away with a nice warm feeling after being, I just felt very invigorated having been exposed to that, to that meeting. I just thought it was fantastic. And, and I should point out that at all our conferences, we've had technical difficulties and, you know, installation with R and kit not working and so on. So please don't feel that this is kind of a, these are kind of perfectly, uh, uh, perfect kind of finished articles. But as Paul, Paul indicates, really, um, it was, it is quite remarkable to see how when you take away organizational boundaries, um, and indeed, we had colleagues from the Health Foundation, from their data science team as well, uh, co coming to the conference. It is just amazing just to see how much energy just uh, gets released, really, uh, from that opportunity. Um, so, so our second, uh, uh, then, uh, then, then we went on to our, our, our third conference, which was, um, we had to go virtual because of the, uh, the pandemic. Uh, and in the virtual conference, uh, we had over a thousand people register. And the, the conference took place over about four days of, uh, of talks and uh, a, a, one week, a, a one week of workshops beforehand. This idea of pre-conference workshops actually comes from Jenny. Jenny, tell us a little bit about how that happened, because I'm a real novice at organizing conferences and I used to get quite worried about whether I've got things in the right order. But tell us a little bit about why you, you made that suggestion. No, I did. Thank you, Mohammed. It's because I'm actually um, a secretariat for the UK System Dynamics Society. And one of the things that we had found useful in the past was that there are lots of students who want to come along to the conference. Um, they um, maybe know that the method or in our case with our the tool might be quite useful. Um, and really, they want to to feel a bit initiated into the community before they get started in in sort of with the techie side with the with the conference so the system dynamics community every year we have uh, an introduction and a walkthrough on a model um, and so that was what was proposed here so um, I believe we initially called it R for the terrified uh, not to imply that people should be terrified but just that I think there was a lot of imposter syndrome um, within the group lots of people really competent really competent analysts but feeling a bit uncertain about what might be a new tool in their toolkit um, so really great opportunity to to welcome those to the community and um, run through with people some of those sort of practical issues before then they get started with the conference and then can actually use their time in the conference to have a go as well. So, so that that design change has stuck with us now I think so uh, uh, I, I, I have kind of brushed ahead a bit by kind of describing the various conferences we're on the verge of, a, of one this for this year for 2021 uh, but but of course, I, I, what I forgot to mention was that the first funding bid with the Health Foundation was for a one-year project. And, um, and as we went through our milestones and were progressing, uh, we, actually, um, uh, we actually turned ask our funder to consider, uh, consider kind of giving us a, a longer life, really. So uh, Ellen, if you don't mind, could I just turn to you and ask you um, kind of, that transition really from a from a single project fund 
for a project to this kind of longer term funding for the NHSL community. Tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about how that, that you're thinking on that, please. Yeah, of course. So I suppose at that point, we're almost at the beginning of 2019 and we were sort of challenging ourselves to test out different ways to build analytical capability. You know, we've seen that the Advancing Applied Analytics projects of which there must have been 23 funded at that point um, that program was really successful in being able to seed local innovation and funding those really small scale projects that uh, that would build capability locally um, but we started to really think more about the demand side of analytical capability and what it would take to start really stimulating a national conversation about how data analytics should be valued, about what role analysts should be, should be taking in the system. And so we started to think about what kind of projects could do both of those things and develop analysts while also shouting loud enough to kind of get system leaders to listen. And that's where the conversation to the you, Mohammed, resumed, I guess. And um, we started thinking about what our ambitions were and how to build this sustainable legacy. Um, and so, yeah, it just made sense to us that given the rapid growth of the community, um, that NHSR could ably provide that kind of support to analysts that we wanted in terms of developing them as individuals, but also to be able to influence the national conversation, which you have done incredibly well. And also it, it needs to be, that is not easy to be able to take that two-pronged approach. So that's um, where that follow-on follow funding came from uh, in 2019, I think it was. That's great, Helen. Thank you. Uh, and uh, and I should I should point out really that that you know uh, I, I will turn very shortly to to thinking about kind of uh, stories really which illustrate some of the kind of progress for the NHSR community. But but the energy that has come from members uh, and we've had support actually from 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 organisations. Both you know AF has been a, a big strategic partner. We've just um, become had a, a kind of agreed a partnership arrangement with Sarah Wilt, who I'll turn to in a short while as well, um, but uh, and also from the private sector. But in, in 2019, the industry conference in Europe for R was held and NHSR got an invitation. Um, so I, I, I was grateful for the invitation and I went to have a uh, have a look at how uh, amazing conferences are run in, in, in industry uh, in, in um, and I had the, uh, the uh, I had the opportunity really to meet the um, the senior team from our studio, uh, and our studio have been a, a fantastic uh, a partner to us, um, uh, supporting us in all sorts of ways with uh, with training and development uh, uh, and uh, and our conference as well. So at nearly every conference we get free workshops and and so on. Um, so the reason I mentioned that is I just I, I, the, the progress has really been uh, the coming together of so many stakeholders and players, uh, and perhaps uh, all uh, all the NSSR kind of central team do is just provide a, a kind of central inbox, really a kind of focal point for this amazing energy to kind of uh, kind of collate towards. Um, so I'd like to turn to to my guests now in, in and just ask them a series of questions really. So so um, first of all, um, uh, perhaps if I could start with Sarah, if you don't mind. Sarah, um, just how do you describe the NSSR community to colleagues and friends who have not heard about it? 
a very good question and why why haven't they heard of it is my first question um <laughs> but um in, you know in, in all seriousness i guess the nhsr community the way i describe it to people who've not heard of it before is that it really is a a community and to kind of give you a bit of my backstory how i came to r and and the r community um a lot like chris i started off using r very much in isolation and the thing that drew me to it was actually its ability to um to chop up and analyze free text data and this exactly like paul describes when you get that text that text code going and you can automate churning through thousands and thousands of lines of documents it, it, it is your eyes do light up it's like being in a sweet shop and just thinking my goodness me so r and its ability to automate processes i was delighted with but it was me and perhaps about two other people at the time in the department of health and social care who could see the advantages and the power of of it and you you did get this feeling after a while as, as well as being quite lonely a little bit of a feeling of am i talking a different language here am i going mad when you talk to other people and you try and convince them and they just look at you blankly we've got excel what do we need what do we need this for? <laughs> um, and the battles that we had to with IT to get the thing installed. And it was like pulling teeth. So when I finally became aware of, of the NHSR community, and I was one of the people at that conference in, in Birmingham that you mentioned, it was like I had found my people. It was just amazing. And as you say, because you are so delighted that you found people who are enthusiastic, um, you just want to help and share and contribute as, as much as you can. Um, and so for me, the NHSR community, to be honest, represents, I would say, the absolute best of the data and analytics community in that it is fun, it is people who just believe in and really want beautiful solutions to problems and also are people who generally work hands-on in the NHS with the data day in, day out, and can just see how valuable it is and, and really want to wring out every last drop of, of, that, of that value. And the NHSR community, I think, really represents all, all, all of those things. Sarah, thank you, that's amazing. Uh, Jenny, do you want to come in at all? Oh, thanks, Mohammed. Sarah, I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. And I'll just add a, a few bits to that. So to me, the NHSR community is a great place for those to get started, but also for those to improve, because there's always more to learn. And there's all sorts of people really willing to engage. For me, I'm also thrilled that it's welcoming and in line with those NHS values um, that you've mentioned at the start there, Mohammed, about sharing. It's for patients and it's about improving the work that we do, the work that helps our patients as well. The other um, real uh, boon I think with the NHSR community is uh, when we as analysts are maybe uh, looking to recruit and we're working with universities um, it's really helpful to say to those universities look it's not just financial organizations who are recruiting people with these skills um, we've got these different forums that we can point people towards so the NHSR community I believe helps raise that profile as well in the potential pool of analysts not just uh, within the analysts within our uh, community already. That's great, Jenny. Thank you. Um, Paul, um, you're a founder member of the 
community. So how do you describe it to colleagues? Um, I, for me, it's, I would describe it as more as that old fashioned concept of, co of a cooperative in the way in which the cooperative was originally formed back in the, at the turn of the previous century or, or, or a society of friends for analysts. It's that, you know, we, we bandy around the word community quite easily, but it, it, it is exactly that thing. And um, it's that coming together. And um, so, yeah, I, that's how I describe it to, um, to, uh, to colleagues and friends, really. Thank you. Uh, Chris, um, you were the Lone Ranger for R for a long time. So how do you describe the community? I was, you know, I actually bet pretty heavy on R in my career, you know, and they were, I can't remember exactly when it was, but I think it would be about 2016, 2017. I genuinely started thinking that I'd throw my whole life away. I was like, this, this, you know, I'm never going to get to the pot of gold at the end of this rainbow. I've learned all these skills. No one cares. No one's listening to me. And it's all toast. And then suddenly the almost overnight, the exact opposite happened. People were falling out of the sky, dropping, you know, all over the country. People wanted to talk to me about R. So, um, yeah, I mean, the big thing that I think a lot of people have already said is uh, the thing that I always say about the NHSR community is that we share. That's the core value. And I think to people who don't work in the NHS, a lot of people who work outside the NHS think that we work for the NHS. So you work for the NHS and we all sit in a big organization and help each other. And I'm very sorry to say that's not the case. Actually, we're all in little tiny, tiny, tiny buildings dotted around and being explicitly allowed to share and cooperate is surprisingly controversial, even for socialized healthcare. A lot of people outside the NHS don't understand that. And that's why I love the NHSR community, because by if your manager allows you to engage with our community, they are explicitly allowing you to work across organizational boundaries. And that's very, very, very powerful. The other thing I would say about NHSR, which is a concept I borrowed from Hadley Wickham, who, as most people will know, is widely regarded as probably the preeminent R programmer, is he always says, I love this, uh, This he said it in a talk once, that, that code is a force multiplier. So if you have a little piece of code, if you write you know, four lines of code that can do one thing over and over again, that becomes a very, very powerful tool. And he talked very eloquently about the way that you can build up a sort of repertoire of, of tools. And those tools become a force multiplier. They can be shared, they can be repurposed. And so a very small amount of effort actually can be leveraged across an extremely large thing. And I do, listening to what everyone's been saying about the history, um, I think that's the thing that I really love about the NHSR community is that it's a force multiplier because the NHSR community, when you compare it with the money that the NHS spends on, you know, licensing software and giving to, you know, analytical consultants and all the tens hundreds of thousands of pounds the nhs pays with taxpayers money going to private companies when you look at the amount of money that we spent on nhsr and when you look at the amount of development and the amount of sharing and the amount of work and the amount of energy that's come out of that i think it's a, it's an order of magnitude more valuable we're getting an order of magnitude more return on our investment than we ever would and this is obviously something that was in the um the health foundation report that we were talking about before is this idea that by investing in people and by giving people space and time and help to share and work together that you can build something much 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 bigger than your initial investment and that's the other than sharing which is the first thing i always say that's the thing that i always say and I, the other thing i was bragging to my kids last night actually fun enough they do not care um we punch well above our weight. I always say that to everyone in my NHSR. I see NHSR. I mean, we were big news in the R community, the conference we mentioned before, the most recent conference. 
I was seeing people in America talking about our conference because it was so awesome. They were like, they didn't really know what NHS, they didn't know anything about it, but they'd heard there was this massive community of R having an awesome conference. And I was so proud because I was like, you know, I, I felt like such a tiny, you know, like we were just this little tiny fish in a tank. And then I realized that actually we were doing something really, really, really good um, with others that are comparatively little. That's great, Chris. Thank you. I'm, I'm just going to pick up on, well, there's so much to pick up on there, but I'm just going to focus on one point and really ask us to see if Paul might elaborate on this. Paul, uh, you were a co-author on a very important paper about 21st century data analytics. Just say a little bit about that and how, and how the NHSR community kind of got mentioned in that work. Yeah, so this was... Um... This was a piece of work. Alan mentioned um, a chap called Martin Bardsley, who was at the Health Foundation. And so Martin and myself, and um, actually the, the analytical community in certain ways, it's, it's a kind of usual suspect. It's quite, it's quite a small number of people involved uh, once you delve into it. The, we got together with a chap called Ben Goldager, who works at Oxford University. And Ben very much is coming from a, public health research perspective. Martin was coming from the basis of the, of the work that he'd done around um, raising the profile of, of analytics in the, health, in the health sector. And I was coming from professionalizing it from an, from an AFA perspective. And we all got ahead together and decided that we just needed to raise the profile of the discussion. And the, the best way to do that was to get something published. So we thought, well, let, you know, let, let's, let's see if we can get something in the BMJ and, um, and get the discussion going. Because if we could engage some of the clinical community as well as the senior leaders, we might be on to get into it. So we held a series of meetings um, and we had a, a very useful, I think we called it a breakfast meeting at a, a nice place in London and um, got everybody together, senior leaders across the system. And as a result of that, um, we then had a writing group who met in Oxford to write the paper. And it was really, as Sarah said earlier, a lot of NHS analytics are mired in, in the ubiquity of Excel and old fashioned ways of working and are not really efficient or particularly useful moves. So the premise of the paper was how do we make sure that we bring all of that stuff into a system which is fit for purpose in the 21st century. Um, and NHSR, I think Mohammed, you were involved, you were involved in that breakfast meeting which we had originally. And it was a good example of, of the sorts of things that we can do if we can mobilize the energy uh, of the collective and get the hive mind approach going around all this and what we can do. So that was used as an example in that paper. And that paper was published in the journal of the Royal Society of Medicine about 2020. Yes, and so obviously as an academic uh, publication is something that kind of is 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 uh, an important uh, kind of output for academia mm. but but i just want to perhaps underscore chris's point really that the nhsr community was noticed mm. and, and 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 it it wasn't it was noticed not because it was seeking to be noticed but actually it was just trying to do good stuff with with really uh, amazing people really and mm. quite a few of those people generally had been undiscovered or uh, under under discovered in their own settings really yeah. so so um okay well so so i'm now going to perhaps um i'm going to ask each one of you um 
to share a story, any story really, uh, uh, that 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 um, kind of uh, say something about uh, uh, about kind of the NHSR community from your perspective or from someone someone you know. Um, so I'm going to start with um, Jenny. Could I ask you first, if I may, please? So we we have had many i think here in wales which is really exciting um but it's interesting hearing others talk about how they're using r and i think some of ours are maybe in a slightly different space around this so some of the initial the real quick wins following the training were very much in terms of automation of what was some really manual spade work of wrangling data be it actually pulling from sql be it um, reports that people were sending that an analyst had to compile uh, manually. Um, so that wrangling of the data, but also that compiling of multiple reports, for example, across 20 different specialties, different sites, etc. So just that automation, I think, was the real um, key moment for a lot of um, analysts within the NHSR community in Wales to say, actually, I can use this and it's not that hard. I can Google a bit of code and I can actually get it working. It might not be the most beautiful, but I can get something working and it will make my life easier. Um, some of the others, though, that exist is um, more interestingly, recently, um, I've got a very junior analyst in the team who was given a model uh, by another member of the team that I'm going to say the, the magic word of, of it was an Excel based model. And for him to be able to understand that model, actually, because he's very strong in R, he rewrote the model in R in order to understand it. And what that meant is that we went from what was unfortunately quite an opaque box model because it was lots of formulas sort of all twisting around in Excel to and also a very large file size to now a really clear box model, which is, is what we're all really looking for is that transparency about how our methods are working so that we can encourage that validation and verification. And so that member of the team really did a lovely job of uh, using the tool that was R to help him understand something that he was entirely new to. And ultimately, the byproduct was a really, really useful tool that then has actually been used in multiple projects since then. So a huge success story um, from my perspective uh, of us being able to use someone's R skills to completely benefit NHS Wales particularly. Thank you, Jenny. I, th I think that point about uh, analysts being able to do things to make life uh, to, to kind of create some time at work um, so that they can kind of uh, free up some some time from doing repetitive tasks I think that's really important because one of the constraints on 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 learning and development in any job role tends to be lack of time but to be able to do that and then I was just noting that um, this point about uh, code is a is a as a multiplier um, this, I think I think that's just been illustrated by what you what you've said. So thank you. Um, can I ask um, uh, Ellen, please? Uh, any story from your perspective, please? Thank you. Yeah. So I think the significance of the NHSR community to me is not simply the achievements that they've managed to um, to do within their own project, but also alongside so many of the other advancing analytics projects that have come before and after them. So we funded 43 in total and just so many of them have been uh, supported by the NHSR community. One that comes to mind is um, Seb Zeki from Guys in St Thomas, who's a gastroenterologist that leads another project 
SEBS tool EndoMiner has been chosen as one of the solutions that are being taken forward um, for development and for wider application. And so I suppose that's just one example of many that um, is demonstrative of how the NHSR community is so generous with their time and, um, and always eager to learn from other kind of clever and innovative people in the system. Uh, so for me, it's just a real pleasure to be able to be some sort of data cupid for <laughs> all of those people, um, for you, Mohammed, you, and for anyone else that's um, doing really, really great work in the system. Thank you, thank you, Ellen. That's really interesting how how actually it's it's kind of supported the investments that you're making in other projects uh, and that kind of leverages uh, uh, across really. Uh, because of the uh, of the, uh, the amazing people we have in the community. Um, um, Sarah, do you have a story at all to share with us? Um, so yeah, building building on, on, on what Ellen and, and um, Jenny have said, the, the, um, the proliferation of R is really the thing for me. So talking about when I was one of three trying to use it for text analysis, where I think where we are now, you know we've come on so far so building on the text analysis story that i had i i cobbled together some code i could use it to look at free text in surveys and consultation responses and tweets and that was great um that was just me doing that and then i eventually managed to make contact Weekly with catch up. Nikki B, Jan B, Sarah C. sorry if that just interrupted the recording um <laughs> The, um was then able to kind of pass that code on to people who worked on the the NHS staff survey every year and every year they got all these free text comments from various different members of, of, of NHS staff and they were able to take that code and not only were they able to use it they then improved it massively and made it so much better than I could have done and that is the beauty of R and so then when we um were plunged into in more recent times COVID response um, within NHS England and improvement in NHSX, we put together an enormous data and modelling cell. And, um, you know, everyone's panic stations, how, how is the NHS resources going to cope with all this? Everyone's putting together models in their own little areas. One of the models, one of the big models was, was built initially in Excel. And it was, this is a testament to how far we've come that we instantly recognise that that model had to be taken out of Excel and put into R. And so that task was done as a matter of priority and it was absolutely fundamental for them being able to share that model with other groups and for them to take it, add on their bit or improve it. And that, that is, is really, I think, a, a huge success story for, for the use of R and the R community in the NHS. And, and I think, uh, thank you, that is uh, amazing. And also that point about it's been done under an emergency. Mm. Uh, environment really it was, it was absolutely uh, prioritized exactly it wasn't yeah. just a nice to have this had uh, to happen it had to get converted into r and and under an emergency especially if it's not been rehearsed so data science doesn't usually get rehearsed as part of an emergency response so to go to your familiar tools is is an intuitive instinctive response really but for that to be recovered that quickly is actually astonishing so uh, uh so that's great to hear thank you sarah um Paul, please. I guess, I guess the one which springs to mind is around the national planning round. So each year in the NHS, all of the organisations who work in acute care have to produce a set of 
forecasts for activity around things like outpatient appointments and inpatients and various other activity lines. And they get submitted into a central body, which um, was in NHS England and Improvement. And the, the task at the centre was to assess the quality of those plans and provide feedback. Um, and we had no real way of doing that systematically. So once we got into the whole thing of using R as a forecasting tool, we then wrote a, a, a set of analyses which meant we could take all of the activity from all of the organisations and run that. So for 150 organisations across eight planning lines, across various methodologies of forecasting like Holt Winters or TBATs or, or, or regression analyses, and then pick the best fit model, which we could then use to assess the quality of their returns. Pre, we would never do that in Excel, it was just an impossible task. But those 6,000 separate beats of analysis, we managed to turn around that in, in, the, in the space of an hour. So when stuff comes back in, we can then do a compare and contrast across that. Now that's now then made available through an R Shiny app back out to the organizations themselves. So there's a whole transparency around how are we at the center assessing the quality of the plans that you're producing? And of course, what we find is they now use that methodology out within the organizations because they know that's how they're being assessed. But it's a much better statistically robust way of doing it than we ever could have achieved before. And that for me, and that's just accepted. That's an accepted practice now. And that's only taken two years. Now, if you know about any embedding anything in the NHS, it takes <laughs> an awful lot longer than two years. That's, 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 that's great to hear, Paul. Thank you. And I know that, that that work was actually presented at one of our conferences as well, and it mm. was it was very well received. Um, Chris, uh, any stories from you, please? Uh, yes, I suppose. I mean, I've got a good story in the sense that, uh, as I mentioned before, I sort of learned R in the bad old days on my own. Um, but one of my team, Zoe, um, I think her journey aligns nicely with NHSR. I think she was on pretty much the first intro to, NH to an intro to R that yes, was run. Yes, yes. Um, and that's when I met her. So I sort of met her at the beginning of her journey. Um, so she was very accomplished in SQL, as many people in NHSR. It's, uh, I think, uh, uh, widely used to the point of overuse, frankly, in my opinion. Um, and so since then, she's... Um, She's learned an awful lot, um, so it's, it's a very short amount of time, and she's now got to the point where she's uh, she's doing package development, she's writing shiny applications, um, and not only that, but she's also become you know a senior figure within the NHSR community, uh, as, you know, in her own right. Um, so she's definitely the the, the uh, what I would call the absolute expert in intro to our training. She's run more intro to our training courses than anybody else. She's got it down to an absolute T by now. Um, she, I think, communicates very effectively with learners because of that, which is very important. I think someone mentioned earlier, uh, oh yes, yeah, so after the terrified. Um, so I think Zoe is very good at dealing with the terrified um, through long experience. Um, and she's got loads of stuff planned in terms of making our intro to our course better. Um, quite, you know, and again, classic NHSR, a lot of which has just come straight from her. That's the that's what I always say about my field in data science is that all the really best stuff is all done with no no manager asks for it. No one sits and writes a report and says, let's do this. Some bright spark comes up with the idea and off they go. And that Zoe, I think, illustrates that very uh, clearly. Um, and the other success story I probably would mention also is Ped, um, who's uh, a data scientist that I know. 
uh, and she has um, also become a very important member of the community very rapidly. Um, and again, classic NHSR, she's the reason why we um, started mentoring. Um, so I think she just came on, I, people just come onto the general channel occasionally and just say, hey, you know, has anyone ever thought about doing this? And within an hour, you know, 17 people usually sort of pipe up and say, what a brilliant idea, which I have to say, that's why this podcast happened. Same thing again. Some bright spark in this case, me saying, hey, let's do this. Um, and as a consequence, you know, loads of people, including Ped, have started uh, mentoring and being mentored. And as I always say, this is stuff. NHSR is doing the stuff that should have been provided by people in the centre years ago. It, it's, a, it's a group of people who just spontaneously come up and do things that someone should have put in place for them right from the start. And we all know why they didn't. Uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a way of just diverting the energy and the enthusiasm that we all have uh, in order to help each other and just giving people the freedom to, you know, to, to find what they find useful and to do what they find useful and to help each other. Thank you, Chris. I, th I think uh, if I summarise that in some ways, if I can, is I, I'm seeing a story of, of the, uh, the working lives of individuals being transformed. Uh, 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 and I'm also seeing the story of organisational processes being transformed, uh, which I think is actually a, a, an absolute delight, really. Um, and, and yes, th and uh, uh, this notion of it, it's become a social movement, really, um, which will uh, which will outlive its founders quite rightly. So I'm just going to do a last question now before we, we sign off. Thank you, everybody, for, for bearing with me. Um, perhaps I'll start with Sarah. Um, Sarah, if you had a wish for the future for the NHSR community, just, just give us a quick sense of what you'd wish, and then I'll go around everybody else. Thank you. Um, I think my wish for the NHSR community is for for it to just go even more mainstream um, and for it to really become, a, as it already is to a certain extent, a cornerstone and, and the voice of innovative analytics in, in the NHS and, and, and beyond in health and care. And, and Sarah, and I think with the, the, having you and NHS Access Strategic Partners, I feel that that, uh, that uh, connectedness to ensure that can happen or increase the likelihood of that happening has been enhanced, really. So we are grateful for, uh, for that, and hopefully that can, uh, that can mature into something amazing, as we both wish. Um, Paul, please. I think in some ways, um it would be lovely to see the need for, for it disappear in some ways, um, for it to be, for us to be the architects of its own downfall, which would mean we've been so successful, it's embedded in the NHS already and, and the centre would pick it up, perhaps as Chris was talking about earlier. Um, unlikely, um, <laughs> maybe a pipe dream, but I, I would say, if that doesn't happen, I would, would like to see the expansion of the community to be an umbrella for other data science activity and open source software. And we put our arms around the Python community and the Jamsim community and, and other people and kind of bring that into the fold so we create a much more eclectic and uh, uh, an inclusive community, which is not just about R. And I think that would fit nicely in with the ethos of the Health Foundation and AFA, actually. Thank you, Paul. That's really interesting. Um, Ellen, please. 
Thanks, Mohammed. So I was thinking about this and I guess where are we now, 2021? I would like to imagine that maybe 2026, we're back at the annual conference in November, maybe we're back in Edgbaston, um, in person even, wouldn't that be exciting? Um, I would love it if we were hearing from social care providers and commissioners that are telling stories about how the, how well, how the community has transformed the way that they use data and helping them make sense of the information that they collect and harness the power of analysis themselves to better analyze that information. I don't know, perhaps it's about lived experience or uh, how to provide domiciliary care in a really efficient way. So I think there's many, many more issues and problems in the system that are can, you know, is really, really well positioned to tackle. Wouldn't that be great? Ellen, thank you. And that's a really good point. Although we have lots of people in the community who are from social care and kind of uh, kind of wider, wider than the, NS, the National Health Service. Um, but I think we, we haven't profiled social care as well. So that, that's a really good, good ask for us. And I think uh, uh, what, a bit of homework for us to, uh, to, to focus on there. Um, Jenny, please. Oh, thank you, Mohammed. I, I agree with the points being raised and um, lovely to think of uh, a, a meetup in person um, at this point in time. For me, I think my hope and dream for all of this would be that um, the community expands to the point where um, it, it's that confirmation that it's not just analysts. You don't just have to be an analyst or you don't only have to be an analyst in order to get involved in the NHSR community. Um, we welcome dabblers. We welcome those who have got uh, maybe uh, eight different coding languages under their belt, but we also welcome those who are completely new to it. So for me, it would be about um, bringing in a closer those customers of analytics so those users of some of those things that those analysts are producing so that um, actually we've got um, upskilled individuals across our health and care system who help themselves to uh, that lovely code that that has been created and maybe ask um, some analytical support to maybe do some tweaks or to improve it um, that that would be a real dream so uh, for example, planners and operational managers would be some of those key ones that I'd, I'd like to see. That's lovely, actually. Thank you. And again, that's a nice challenge for us to, uh, to focus on. Um, and Chris, please, your thoughts on the future. Well, I'm going to bang one of my drums, actually. I bought loads of drums, but I haven't banged any of them yet. So I'm going to, I'm going to take my, <laughs> my final chance. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to do a Tony Blair and answer my own question as well, partly. I think uh, what I would really like to see for the NHSR community is, I mean, we've talked about some of the core values of the NHSR community. So what I always say our core values are and our behavior is that we share, we operate across organizational boundaries and we share our code. We open source our code. And that's what we do. The NHSR community funds projects. And what's one of the conditions is that you have to share your code. And I think the NHSR community is awesome enough, frankly. So what I would like to see the future of the NHSR community, I would like to see the rest of the NHS look at us and look at our core values and start to build that into what they're doing. Because I, frankly, I think that's where the improvement needs to be now. I think those values of sharing, working across organization boundaries and sharing of code are obvious to the point of being uh, trivial and um, I think, you know, frankly, they, they, I, frankly, I think the rest of the system got a lot to learn for us. So that's what I would like to see the future of NHSR. That's great. Thank you, Chris. Um, 
and from my point of view, I just want to keep the lights on because everything else is just so amazing. So uh, I'll, I'll close at that. I would really like to thank all my guests for, for giving time and sharing and kind of in this kind of look back exercise, which, um, uh, which uh, I've found really uh, refreshing to hear. Uh, and I hope it's been interesting for, for everybody else to hear. So a big thank you to my guests and everybody else for listening to this podcast. And we look forward to perhaps welcoming you to future podcasts. Thank you very much.